another episode of Unlocking California Politics. Today, we are talking about Proposition 1, Treatment Not Tents, which is a ballot initiative that will be on the March ballot. It is the only initiative on the March ballot. It was introduced by Governor Gavin Newsom. To help us understand more about the initiative, we have with us today Jim Debu, who is managing the Proposition 1 campaign and is founder of the public affairs and political consulting firm Debu Strategic Affairs. Jim also served as Governor Newsom's chief of staff from 2020 to 2023 and has a long and distinguished career in Sacramento policy and politics. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here today. So let's dive in. California voters are soon going to be getting or have already received their ballots for the uh, primary election. And on it, they are going to see Proposition 1, again, the only proposition on the ballot, treatment, not tents, which is a great slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Homelessness and the unhoused are among the top priorities for Californians these days. It doesn't seem to matter whether you're in suburbs or urban cores. It's on people's mind um, in, in basically every way. I think there's a lot of compassion for the homeless situation but there, and concern, but also people are especially nowadays also concerned about safety and other issues that, that go along with homelessness. Um, can you tell us first what what is Proposition One? Yeah, and thanks for having me today. And I I think when we talk about Prop One, it, it, there's a little bit of history that has to be discussed in California. And at one time, we actually had uh, thousands of people housed um, back in the 50s and 60s. And what happened during the late 50s and early 60s was those those beds, those 37,000 beds that we had, uh, they were they were dismantled by different politicians by in a bipartisan fashion. But over time. Those, those beds disappeared. And what happened with those, those folks just ended up in the streets. And over those years, both cities and counties never were able to really figure out how to deal with that mental health you know, kind of crisis that occurred. So what Prop 1 attempts to do is kind of right those wrongs that we've never addressed before. And it, it's, it's a pretty simple ballot measure in that it does two very basic things. Um, the first piece is it, it's a bond, a, a over $6 billion bond to house those folks that are unhoused. And if I harken back to my days as governor's chief of staff, one of the biggest fights that we witnessed was the cities and counties arguing over who was responsible for what. And the courts as well, when we try to clear encampments, coming in and saying, you can't clear these encampments unless you have these folks housed. So what we're attempting to do with counties since they're responsible for providing mental health services and the cities are responsible for providing housing, is giving them that ability to do so with the bond. Um, and that bond's broken down into a couple different components. Most of it goes for different types of supportive housing, so crisis intervention housing, um, which is short-term, and then also long-term housing. So for folks like Project Home Key, so um, in the state during COVID, we bought mm -hmm. hotels, and we're going to extend that program, but those hotel rooms were really for, for long-term homes for people who were suffering from homelessness. So you have those pieces. There's a billion dollars in the bond also for veterans. Uh, there's over 10,000 veterans that are on the streets mm -hmm. right now. And over the years, the legislature has always tried to house those folks, and, and this does that as well. And then a little bit of malleability with about a billion dollars for local governments to figure out what the best is for supportive housing. Also within this is leveraging for federal funding, so not all the money is unmatched by the federal government. So there's matching funds, um, as well as workforce development. We have a crisis with healthcare workers in the state of California. And if we really want to address trying to get the mental, the mental health paradigm fixed and people off the streets, we need more healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. So the bond also helps to upscale 
and to bring more people into the uh, mental health workforce. That's the first part. Mm-hmm. The second part is the Mental Health Services Act. And um, Senator Joel Steinberg, who represented Sacramento here in the state Senate, he was the very first author of the MHSA, is what it's affectionately referred to. And that was a 1% um, tax on pretty much the wealthiest Californians, million dollars or over. Um, and that provided money for mostly for counties to deal with mental health. Mm-hmm. There was one major flaw in MHSA when it was passed. You couldn't use it for substance abuse, right. which as everyone knows, folks are on the street are suffering from substance abuse. So this this uh, proposition amends the MHSA, allows for substance abuse to be uh, a, a part of the funding that's, that's used there for that funding. But it also goes a little bit further and it tells local governments, counties in particular, you re- we really need you to use this to make sure people are getting into housing, to make sure that they're getting wraparound services, and to make sure that money is going towards the, the pieces of care that we need to see folks get inside um, and into treatment. Um, and so between those two pieces and what the legislature has done with conservatorship reform to make mm-hmm. it easier for families to say, my loved one can't uh, take care of themselves, I want them to be uh, put into a treatment facility and care court, which the governor and the legislature right. passed, which allows for folks to go through a court process to say, hey, you really need to be into mandatory treatment. Those, all four of those things, or three of those things basically with Prop 1 being third, really lock in hopefully that to repair that piece of what we talked, what I just talked about, which is it's kind of closing the loop on what we did in the 50s and 60s to recreate the mental health structure that we need in California. So the the care court to some extent does, as you mentioned, allow <clears throat> allows for conservatorship by mm-hmm. by um, relatives and other persons um, who have a concerned interest in in uh, certain members of the homeless community. And it seems like so that in many ways was targeting some of the more extreme situations of homelessness. Is this a broader uh, population to be served than oh, the care courts? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just the, the homeless. This is mental health as a whole. So the 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 funding for from the MHSA portion of this bond, and even for the housing side of it, sometimes this is just for people to go in for short term care. Um, so it's not just about the homeless population as a whole. It's a large part of it, mm-hmm. but it's also about mental health. And I'll give you an example. Um, in my family, we've had mental health, you know, and I think everybody shares this, uh, you know, issues. And a lot of issues are like things that you want to have outpatient care. But that might not be available for your loved one because there wasn't resources for it. And this is right. the portion of the bond will create those beds and those treatment slots. That's the other big thing on the the housing piece. When we started in the 50s and 60s, there was 37,000 beds, essentially. We're down to 5,000 beds. What the bond will allow for is not only it's basically 11,500 beds, but it's 26,000 treatment slots. And that serves around 100,000 people a year because not everybody's going to have need to be into a housing situation for more than a week, more than a few days. So that piece of it's really, really important that we're recreating that piece to serve that 100,000 people, which is, again, not just homeless, but the mentally ill. One concern which I hear from some of my friends, I'm from the Los Angeles area. There have been some homeless connected bonds, mental health bonds, and... I think there's concern about, you know, are you getting value for your money? Some of these projects have, you know, ballooned in cost or very few people get served. 
what kind of accountability measures are, are built in? And that's a great question. One of the big things we learned, especially I did when I was in the governor's office, when we did, um, we did homeless funding for the local governments when I was there. And one of the pieces that we had put in was accountability measures. And some of the local governments came back and said, we said, you have to come back and present your plan. Well, the plans included increases in the homeless population, which the governor summarily rejected. We, we took that and put that thought process into Prop 1. So there's accountability metrics on the money itself. But more importantly, the money, because it has some federal you know, drawdowns mm-hmm. that we can do, plus the fact that we can use existing programs like HomeKey, plus the fact that it also has local government streamlining, okay. th- we're looking at a couple hundred thousand dollars a unit. And I understand I've seen it. The LA bond where they said it was $800,000 right. a unit. <laughs> that is not this. This is not the panacea. But this is going to allow for a much easier, lower uh, cost construction. And we get to use existing programs like HomeKey where we're just we're continuing to buy or expand buying of, of old hotels and motels. So the funding piece of it isn't as egregious as people would think. It's actually much, much better. And there's an accountability metric. So if the counties aren't doing what they're supposed to do, which they don't love, I will say. Right. Um, the state has the ability to come in and and rectify or to you know have a discussion about funding. Okay, good. Because as I said that's that's something I get um, a lot about that concern. Yeah. So I, I figure there would be accountability built in. Um, as you mentioned, there one of the changes is to um, allow for treatment of addiction. And can you speak a little to the history of maybe why that was not a part of the original? legislation on this I, I you know it goes back for a while <laughs> i i I'm, I'm not sure at the time why they didn't include that specifically but there's always been addiction when it comes to mental health but fentanyl right. wasn't around right um it's exploded uh, i think people recognize how deadly that is even different forms of heroin and things like that so when it was initially done, the MHSA was also targeted at children, mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't as big of an issue then. Um, but what I will say is, you know, the author, Gerald Steinberg, is one of the sponsors of the ballot mm-hmm. measure because he recognizes it. And so I think it's evolved. Um, I do think it was a miss, but I don't think it was intentional. I think it was unintentional. Okay. Um, and I think now what people are seeing is if you're not dealing with substance abuse, you're not dealing with those addictions that are fentanyl in particular, which is so addictive, um, you're not going to be able to ever get to the root of the problem. And it opens up that funding, which is what it needs to be for mental health reform. It's a huge part of getting people off the streets. Yeah. And that makes sense because it's also seems like a lot of persons who are not getting mental health treatment who need it, they'll often be self-medicating with narcotics. And so they, they might be attempting to actually deal with their mental health issues through, through narcotics. And so it should be well, especially, if, I mean, look, if you're out on the streets and we see it every day, today, Sacramento, it's raining, it's cold, it, to try to just to get through the day, people are self-medicating. Right. And you can understand it from a human perspective about how difficult it must be if you're, you have some form of mental illness and you're out on the streets and you're trying to live through that, of course, people are self-medicating. And so this does try, you know, try to address that. And we'll get to the, the, the piece of it, but also getting people off the streets that don't have the capability to take care of themselves, which I think most people would view as a humane thing to do, leaving people out on the streets to die. Sacramento had right. the highest uh, this last year. They had over 250 people die on the streets. Wow. They think this year for 2023, 2022, 2023, it'll be over 250 people most likely. 
it is inhumane for us to sit back and to allow for people to die out on the streets. And that is a tie-in to something that has always sort of struck me about this. You, this proposition, as well as care courts, received a fair degree of opposition from certain types of disability rights groups who argue any type of compelled treatment is improper. And that's always struck me as a little odd because if you don't, you may not even, you might be so have mental health issues that you can't even recognize that you need help. Um, how do you respond to those critiques um, or concerns? I, I think there's a few ways to respond to it. Number one, again, I go back to this. It's, it, it is, as a society, it is not compassionate to leave people on the streets to die. Um, if you've ever walked an encampment, and I've walked plenty, and you meet with people that are out there, um, they have different reasons for not wanting necessarily to come into treatment, but most of them don't have the capacity sometimes to, to even make those personal decisions for themselves anymore. And if you talk to a parent or a brother mm -hmm. or a sister or whomever it may be who has a loved one that's out on the streets, they're begging sometimes for people to get them into treatment and they haven't had the ability to do that. So I would argue, and I think it's, you know, again, it is so inhumane to allow people to be out on the streets to die. I mean, Sheriff Jim Cooper from Sacramento, one of the reasons he endorsed Prop 1 was that women on the streets right now, 40% are victims of sexual assault. That is inhuman. So for us to defend the status quo and to say that people should be out on the streets and they should live in the conditions that they live in without intervening, that to me is inhumane. And in this isn't the idea that we're going to go back to the 50s and 60s of the state hospitals where there's all the, that's never going to happen again. This is the whole idea is to get people in, get them into wraparound services, get them treatment, get them back on their feet so they can try to live as, as happy of a life as they can. And that helps everyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've, I've had some friends who are on that, <laughs> I guess, the extreme side of the civil liberty spectrum. And I said, look, we're not going to be, state's not, because you're whistling and talking to yourself, nobody the, the, the situation is so far gone, <laughs> that's not even, you know, on the no. radar screen. And, yeah. you know, some time ago in the LA Times, I remember there had been an article, this is years ago, in Silver Lake area, how all the community businesses, residents were watching this one couple basically deteriorate on the streets. Yeah. They went to the police, they went to people, and everybody's like, well, they don't Stop. want help. And so, oh, well, and basically that it went really bad. Yeah. And, yeah, now it... it yeah, it just seems like ridiculous to say, oh, well, there's nothing we can no, do. And, and look, I lived in San Francisco for a long time, and I had a couple of homeless folks who basically, when they could, they would live on our front porch. And right. they would, you know, they were heroin addicts, addicts. They would inject themselves and, you know, write with blood on our garage doors and things like that. And I do remember when Gavin Newsom was mayor and he did Care Not Cash, I lived in San Francisco and I remember an advocate knocking on my door and saying they have the right to do that. And I was like, those folks need help so badly to get back on their feet. This can't be a healthy way for them to live. And the fact that you're defending the status quo like that, to me, showed that you don't have compassion for those folks. So I'm right. in your camp. I, I find it, it's hard for me to sit and listen to people say that it's okay for people to be out on the streets who can't take care of themselves, who don't have, who aren't mental health requires lots of different treatments 
they don't have they have access, but they're not able to get prescriptions. They're not able right. to sit, they're not even able to get care. They're not able to get medical care. And to say that they deserve to be on the streets so they can die, I think is as a society, as a as a democracy, that is absolutely the worst way you can look at something. Well, it's interesting you said earlier that this is kind of a response to the failures of the initial sort of discharge and closing of the state hospitals. Because I know in some states, I'm not sure about in California, they were closing the the state hospitals with the assumption that, oh, we'll have community care facilities and that'll, everything will be fine. And then they discovered, oh, without better interventions, people wouldn't go to the community care facilities Mm -hmm. or let's cut some funding. There go the community care facilities and nobody, because they're not going and it's ended up where we are today. And so you're right. There's you need a full spectrum of intervention. And the the idea behind prop one again is, and and care court and conservatorship from all those things, they all interact with each other, but it's to reconstitute a a continuum of care and mental health. It's not to reestablish the state hospitals, you know, from a perspective of what people view though of state hospitals from the fifties and sixties when it was lobotomies and things like that. Like there's that specter that that's going to happen. That will never happen again. And the way that we're taught, this is all, this is about continuum of care. It's about wraparound services, about making sure that you have mental health, you have physical health, you have housing, because one of the, the big reasons that people are on the streets, and I understand this, when they they have conjugate care, which is you know one big room with 25 bunks, mm-hmm. that doesn't work because people get assaulted, their stuff gets stolen, right. they don't feel safe. That, that makes sense. So you have to have that housing component. Um, but if you have that housing component and you have that continuum of care, you have those healthcare services available, mental health services available, and even if it's like, hey, you have to be here in some cases, if you're going through care mm-hmm. court or conservatorship, that's how you take care of people. Right. And you've mentioned housing. Now, there are communities, there are areas that have been resistant to homeless shelters and temporary housing being built in their communities, which has always struck me in a way as a little odd, I remember. And I, I think the opposition actually dropped away. I think this was in, I can't remember what part of Los Angeles, there was a lot of objection. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, is it better that people are just on the street? Isn't it better that they're in the housing as opposed to being on the street in front of your house? But um, how how do you address those concerns? And, and do you see resistance as being a problem yeah, for this initiative? I, I think I don't see resistance being a problem for this initiative. But yeah, people have. I like I live in you know East Sacramento here, and my um, my view is like, look, if we had a housing for homeless folks and they were off the streets and in a safe place that's a much better outcome than them walking around the streets um, and, and being homeless so, and, and mental health as well. Just mm-hmm. the mental health paradigm of having people who, um, who need the help that are in, in getting treatment. Like I'm okay with that, but I understand there's a fear from some people about like, what does that look like? What does that mean? But, but it, the, the pushback usually comes um a lot of times, you know, from NIMBYs, uh, which I, there's a lot of that when it comes to construction of housing. There's a lot of that when it's mm-hmm. construction of whatever it is in their neighborhood. And there is a streamlining aspect to this uh, to this initiative that allows for that those those projects to be built faster. Do I think there's going to be a lot of pushback? I think it's lessening. But I also think people have to understand, like, you have to prove rightfully to the neighborhoods, to the neighbors, to the people that are there. This isn't just us throwing up some housing and putting people in there. It's that these services are going to be there so they will feel safe. They will be a safe space for the people that are inside of those units and that it's not going to affect the surrounding neighborhoods. Any, it, It'll be better than the situations there right mm-hmm. now. And that, that I think we deserve, the people who are 
the Californians who are going to be facing this and seeing, you know, some new construction, some of this is, uh, for mm-hmm. example, in LA, there's old hospitals that they're retrofitting, right. right? That we can retrofit. So some of it won't be new. Um, it'll be just retrofitting, which is great, saves us money. But in some cases, it will be new. And we 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 owe it to the people to tell them what this really means. And it's not just housing; it's everything else that comes with it. Um, you know, the health of people reflects their communities. Why should why would this be an issue of particular concern to realtors? I, look, that's a great question. But I think all realtors are like, they're at the tip of the spirit of communities. Um, they are the ones who are from the community usually because they're selling in the communities mm-hmm. they live in. They're part of the community and that they're part of most of the groups or associations because they want the community to thrive. Um, they're also people that are selling the community. And so if you're selling a community to someone, you want it to be as not pristine, but you want it to be inviting. You want to be able to talk, you know, with confidence about the schools. You want to be able to talk about confidence about the crime rates being low, the property values being high. This measures whole thing from the realtor's perspective is to help people get off the streets. And that to me, for all of those reasons, if you're a realtor, both personally and professionally, you should be interested in this initiative passing because it matters to your community. I can't think of a group that would be more uh, at the tip of this issue and dealing with it on a daily basis than realtors. Yeah, historically, our association has not, for various reasons, weighed in on on these types of issues. But for all the reasons I think you've just talked about, we have definitely, and one reason for this podcast, is a growing interest in addressing this this whole situation. And so, yeah, this is something which um, I think most of our, our membership uh, who will be listening to this is aware of. Um, of the importance of, of this. And I think you've, you've hit on the main, main issues. Um, one thing I also noticed in the ballot arguments is it looks like you're enjoying a fair degree of support from law enforcement for this. I noticed the Orange County mm-hmm. uh, sheriffs and police supporting this. Can you speak to some of the law enforcement support? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just say this. I have never worked on a measure that has more bipartisan support. Uh, just to start at the, the top, you mentioned you know Governor Newsom. This is part of it. Well, Shannon Grove, State Senator Shannon Grove, who's former minority leader of the, uh, of the Senate, Republican, uh, mm-hmm. very conservative Republican. Very conservative, right. She's a supporter as well. She just wrote an op-ed in favor of, of Prop 1. So it, it's, it's, it, it, we have this massive amount of bipartisan support. Law enforcement, it's writ large. We've got Sheriff Cooper from Sacramento, Sheriff Luna from Los Angeles, the Police Chiefs Association, the Police Officers Association, um, uh, Fire uh, as you saw, right. we, we have um, CSLEA, the Law Enforcement Association, um, and 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 one of our main, our, one of our executive committee members is the Correctional Peace Officers Association. Mm. And okay. there's various reasons for that. Um, the Correctional Peace Officers Association, they recognize that this is really important for them because they're, they don't want to be mental health experts, right? right? Like, and so getting people out of incarceration and into treatment is very important for them. Right, that makes sense. So for them, there is that big piece. And then what I talked about with like Sheriff Cooper, his big thing is like the people who are out on the streets, there is an immense, not only is it, you know, the homelessness piece with this mental health blight, all those crime, but it's the, the assault uh, of, 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 you know, for him, it was that it was like, look, there's sexual assault that happens at high, high, it's rampant in, in this community. Um, and so we have these various folks who are from law enforcement are saying, this is what we need to do to get people off the streets. Police and fire, they shouldn't be the behavioral health 
officers. You know, they want to go do their police work. Um, and for them, I think they recognize that this is really, really important uh, for, for their communities, um, for, for, the, you know, for CCPOA to, to make sure that that mental health piece is taken out of the prisons and put back into an area that provides treatment. Um, and overall, just to, to help fix the communities. But it is, it is, it's, it's great. And we've, I have, again, never had so much, not just law enforcement, but bipartisan support on anything I've worked on probably in my career. Um, on the, on the, I guess, uh, opposition side to this, there's been some, I, I noticed in the ballot argument, there's some mention of some cities being concerned is do you think it's because of the accountability piece or it, it, it's mostly <laughs> so that the cities are that most cities have endorsed correct um, and the big the big 13 mayors all of them in fact there was a, a, an event today with all 13 of them who've, who have endorsed the counties there are behavioral health because again mm -hmm. they have a lot of folks have had the mhsa the mental health services act funding at the county level for so long that they're kind of entrenched in current programs. And there is a shift that they're gonna to have to make with some of those programs. And I think there's a little, you know, uh, grumbling about that. But, <laughs> right. but what I would say is this, um, that pot of money has grown to almost, started at 1.3 billion uh, when it was first set, at 3 billion now a year. Okay. The status quo is not working. So right. we have to do something different. And we think this is the appropriate way to do it with the accountability measures that are over the top of it. And you mentioned bipartisan support. I couldn't help but notice basically the, I almost want to say the whole major business community has Absolutely. backed this Cal Chamber, Business Properties, California Business Roundtable. Um, how do you explain the support of the business? Do you think it's the same it, it, kind of the realtor issue that they're members of the community? Absolutely. Small, yeah. like if you talk about the chamber, um, small businesses across the state, especially in urban cores that deal with this every day. The idea that there could be some relief to them of of getting, you know, because look, every but to your point when you started this, people are compassionate, but they also have to live their lives. And when you're a small business, that can affect you dramatically. Um, so for I think for small businesses like the and the chamber representing those folks and some of the small business properties association folks like that, they're looking at this saying, hey, this may not solve all the ills, but it's a big step in the right direction to help us get back to a place where like the, the, the core portions of cities or areas where there's density and there's, you know, homeless issues and mental health issues that they can get folks out from in front of their storefronts, out from in front of their business properties and in back into a place where people are excited to be, you know, in those areas again and feel safe. And as you mentioned, it is one of those rare initiatives or even anything where you do see such bipartisan support. I've, you know, I, like a lot of people, pr prior to my getting involved in the political side, I used to kind of lot of shorthand when you're voting on initiatives. Well, who supports it and who opposes yeah, it? I'll, I'll yeah, go, yeah. I'll go that way. And then it's like, oh, everybody's on. <laughs> almost everybody's here: labor, business, yeah. uh, cops. You know, uh, civil rights groups. Everybody seems here, except again, maybe some some exceptions on the opposed, but it seems like a pretty bipartisan, yeah. you know, very bipartisan group um, supporting this initiative. It seems pretty universal. Now you mentioned, and, I, and I'm glad you addressed it about the 11,000 treatment beds, but how that's just the treatment beds. And it would, um, if you could just go over again, how that multiplier works in terms of how many people. Would sure. Get treated. Sure. So it's, it's basically 11,500 beds. And is um, that a, in addition to the existing beds or 
It's new beds, yeah. Right. So that'll bring it up to 16,000 something. Okay. Um, there's 26,000 treatment slots. Um, and because not everybody needs to have beds. Right. Sometimes it's just treatment. And and the way, I mean, and again, I'm not an expert on the calculation of how they get here, but basically with that amount of both beds and treatment slots, it services about 100,000 people a year, which is a hard thing for people to hear. That's a big number. Um, but that's what, um, you know, when we were going through this process and uh, our health and human service agency analyzed this, that's what they felt like was doable. Um, and that's a pretty big chunk of the people who are either out on the streets or have mental health issues. So you're talking about 100,000 folks um, uh, that's being, you know, provided. Uh, that's a pretty big number. Um, so again, the, the beds increase, um, you know, almost twice as what we have now. Um, and but the treatment slots are really, really important as well. And, and that's new treatment slots and, and it'll serve those 100,000 people. And again, in addition to that, it's having to build up that healthcare uh, service uh, and bringing in new employees and ups, upskilling people to be able to take care of this influx in, in a positive influx. We hope it's a massive influx uh, of mental health services. One thing which I thought was good about the care courts in terms of its implementation was how it was so broadly implemented throughout the whole state. Mm -hmm. And actually, I had a member of our association once talking about care courts and saying, yeah, I figure anything that Orange County and San Francisco wants, they must have something yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you made sure that it was Shasta and all through yeah. the different parts of the state. Would there be a similar um, attempt made? Because I know there's sometimes concern like, oh, is this really just for San Francisco and L.A.? No, no. All, so, um, so great question. MHSA the counties would still have the same allocation that they've always had. They just have to follow the rubric that's being set out within the ballot measure, and they have the ability now to use the money for substance abuse. So that doesn't change. The um, and, and it's basically the same on the bond. The bond is more about where can we build these you know, facilities mm -hmm. as fast as we possibly can, and what existing resources do we already have. So if, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but if you're Shasta County and you have home key and you want to expand that, you're going to have the ability to do that. Okay. But but there will be some new construction. But like LA, for example, there's already a few sites that the county's identified that are either, you know, re retrofitted healthcare entities that we can go in very quickly and just update um, and move quickly. So it'll be spread out around. And then again, there's a billion dollars in there for veterans um, for right. that very specific purpose, just to make sure that, ve that veterans, like I said, 10,000 on the street right now, have a place to go. So it'll be it'll be pretty equitably equitably spread across the state, right? I did notice also again on the ballot arguments and generally on the various pamphlets yeah, that uh, you know, support from I think all the major veterans groups. Yes, yeah, yeah, on this yeah, one as well. Vet, support from the veterans groups, support from law enforcement, support from all of the mental most of the mental health, right? You know, NAMI, the largest uh, national um, the national mental health organizations, um, and you know, uh, every like you said from from labor. Uh, to business, it's it's really been fascinating and right. fun to work with all these folks. It's rare when you see. It's always interesting to me when you see. Wow, SEIU and the chamber. Yeah, on no, the same it, side. It is. It's like people who are you know in, in our world in the capital who are literally fighting each other right. every day, hand to hand combat, are holding hands on this one. And it is. It is. It's just a very interesting place to be. And it, and it goes back to the, and it's the same reason why it's odd to see Shannon Grove and Gavin Newsom on something right. together. That's true. But it is because it's mental health and right. it's something that everybody affects everyone. And it's not really it's not a partisan issue. It's very hard to make mental health a partisan issue. So. 
I was going to, that actually sounds like your last words, but I was yeah. going to say if you have any last words that you'd like to share with our listeners. No, I, I just really appreciate the time and, you know, as, as realtors, fa- you know, facing the state and dealing again, frontline, whether it's inflation, whether it's built, you know, construction of housing, mm-hmm. whether it's something like mental health, you know, I hope so at, at some point if, if you can consider supporting, it'd be great. But again, I just thanks for the time. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors, CAR, is to provide general and educational information and opinions from a wide range of perspectives regarding politics, voting, elections, legislative issues, and more. The opinions, beliefs, and views expressed by guests or participants of this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, or views of CAR, its affiliates, their respective directors, officers, or employees. Reference to any individual or entity does not constitute an endorsement, recommendation, or any other position or opinion regarding that entity or individual by CAR. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or services of any kind. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.